It's time for Spread the Floor, the world's first and only NBA podcast, probably. And now, shocking the world like Danny Manning and the Miracles, it's your hosts, Brian Gill and Tobin Hodges. Welcome back to another episode of Spread the Floor. I'm your host, Brian Gill, joined as always by my co-host, Tobin Hodges. Tobin, how are you, buddy? I am doing great, actually. Good, man. Good. It's nice to hear your voice. Uh, I'm excited to talk about the only thing that matters in all the world. Uh, we're going to talk Michael Jordan in the last dance. And uh, look, this we're, we think this is going to go long enough, so let's just, what do you say? Let's just jump right in. Let's skip all news and, and hopes for, the, for future NBA games coming soon, and let's just get right into it, yeah? All right, man, let's dig into it. Episode 5. Touched on a lot. We we talked about it off the air that this this episode got through a lot of the Jordan history and in, in pretty short detail. Yeah, it's it, it was almost like it was too much, but mm-hmm. I don't I I still loved it and I still think it was good. I, I told you I was really hoping for more Dream Team stuff, but mm-hmm. I totally also mm-hmm. understand that this is not a documentary about the Dream Team. But I, I guess it was selfishly I they kind of set it up for him going for Isaiah's throat. <laughs> this episode mm-hmm. and then when they were they didn't as much i was like dang it but you know i also get mm-hmm. it it makes sense <laughs> yeah so the, i mean this episode touched on it touched on the dream team it touched on the the move from the first championship into the second championship and where that goes from there um it touched on his shoe deal with nike which is one of the great the all-time great deals um and it did the you know the uh it had uh, Mike Wilbon was in a lot of this. We get to, we get the Tony Kukoc stuff, and then you mentioned the the Isaiah Thomas stuff too. So there's a couple of spots there that I that probably would be interesting to talk about and uh, and focus in on. Um, what this is a random note. What do you think about team jerseys in the All Star game? Uh, I think that they, it's better than having them wear their their team their actual team jerseys like. That's what I mean, oh, though. That's okay. that's what I'm saying. Like the, in the '98, the '98 All Star game no, was I one think, where. Sorry, I'm interrupting. Everybody's wearing their jerseys, their their no, own team's jerseys. So you have Grant Hill and a Pistons uni next to Jordan and a Bulls uni. And basically. here's why. Okay. Um, I think the All Star game is one of the. And, and now with the city edition and statement and all the different editions of jerseys, it's not as important. But I feel like the All Star mm-hmm. game in the past, especially, has been the the prime time to really test out like crazy uniforms or something cool. Like, like we, we made mm-hmm. our uni episode. We talked about how, like, I think it was the 96 all-star game that had like the, the peppers and the San, San, San Antonio font all over it. And I'm like, sure. those are atrocious and you would never see those mm-hmm. in games, but those are awesome. Like, I mean, they, <laughs> so like, why not just go crazy with it? You know, or if you're a Nike mm-hmm. or Adidas at the time or whoever, like that's a perfect time to test out some sort of like uni element that you were thinking about doing. Like I know for instance, Adidas a while back did the whole nu- the name underneath the number thing. That was kind of the first time they did it. Mm-hmm. And I hate that, but also it's an All Star jersey, so who cares, you know? So, sure. um, plus, I mean, I think there is some merit to. It's really cool to see these some jerseys, you know, lined up next to each other um, and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think it works in some sports. Like, I think for instance, I think it works in baseball. I think in baseball it really works. But yeah. for some reason in basketball, I want them all wearing the same jersey. And I, and I don't really know why. I just do. Like, n- I think it's too much color contrast on the screen. It's just really hard to to watch those things. It looks cool in like the pictures when they get yeah, the yeah. team photos and stuff. But then when it's on the court, you're just like, there's well, just there's so many colors on the screen. And it's very difficult to follow. Yeah. Like it's just, I don't know, it's kind of assaulting on the eyes I, a little I, bit. I'm with you. I don't. I don't love that bit. I think it's. I'll, I will say. I'd be cool with it if they did it like every ten years sure. or something. If you if you if you throw that out there every once in a while. I, but I they know. also I, do. Because I, I, I'm with you too. I think you should do cool yeah. stuff with the All Star game. And they also have the do different um, the jerseys. They they're wearing the team jerseys on like the Saturday night. You know, so like that kind of mm-hmm. helps too. Um, I wish I do. I will say the last couple of years with the whole team cats and thing they've gotten really plain with like the big logos in the front i actually really like those jerseys mm-hmm. but i want like i'd rather have something you know out there like if that's the time to do it mm-hmm. like just do it you know and make it like crazy colors sure. um, i mean like the pro bowl is by far the worst of all the all-star games um and there was there was a couple years ago i think it was like when dion and whoever i think maybe urban coached it and they had these like neon yeah. you know like I don't know, Oregon duck uniforms basically. And I was like, that's awesome. Like that's yeah, the kind of yeah. thing that I think they should do is 
do you know do mm-hmm. some sort of crazy color combination and you know or or tie it to the city like if like if it's in New Orleans mm-hmm. make a city you know the city color the New Orleans colors or that kind of thing sure sure this all star game so they focused on this a lot during this episode because it was Kobe because it's Jordan yeah. and Kobe which that was uh, a gut punch against oh each gosh. other. That was yeah. such a gut punch to see him talking on screen. It really was. And yeah, I wasn't expecting, I guess I, I, I guess I knew that he had been interviewed for this, but I guess I wasn't expecting it at the same time. So that was, a uh, to see him pop up on the screen and, um, and be, you know, I mean, there's Kobe and knowing what we know. I mean, it, it, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was weird. It was tough. And then, but he, you know, we said we talked about this on the episode that we did on Kobe but when when all that went down earlier this year. But, you know, I was never a huge Kobe fan. The thing that I appreciated about Kobe then and even appreciate much more now is how much of a student of the game he was and how seriously he took the art of basketball and and what went into the, the not just the practice and the work ethic, but like how you play basketball and how that were in the science of it and stuff. And I love that about Kobe. And you see that in that, I mean, he's only in this, this episode for, you know, whatever, five minutes, like two talking heads basically. But you, you can feel that coming through the way that he, his approach to the game and stuff. Yeah. And I don't, I think it may have been house of highlights or bleacher report or somebody today. Uh, They posted on Instagram, like a, uh, Jordan's last all-star game and like that was the game where he hit the what they thought was going to be the game mm-hmm. winner then Kobe ended up tying it at the end of regulation yeah, yeah. Wow. and yeah. they they had like a, a mic'd up moment where they were they were both like talking about like I guess he flew, like fell for Jordan pumping and Jordan was like just telling him why are you doing that and then Kobe Kobe was like <laughs> hey you know like uh, yeah I came off I left my feet but I also like what else are you gonna do where are you gonna go I knew exactly where you're gonna go and they were just arguing in an all-star game mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. how to guard each other and yeah. I, that's you know that you, you saw that in the five minutes he was on the screen too it was just it was great so right. great this is a real interest this has, really has nothing to do with this episode but I just found it interesting this isn't this is kind of a crossroads all-star game um you get the you look at these rosters and it's very interesting because you have a whole lot of, of great Hall of Fame players, but the the older group that was up there with Jordan has started to fade out uh, from from this stuff. So so like John Stockton wasn't an All Star this year, um, and Scottie Pippen wasn't an All Star, and uh, and then you know some of those you know uh, Hakeem wasn't an All Star, and Patrick Ewing wasn't an All Star, and so. You have some of those guys are are out now, and then you have this sort of it's an odd. This is an odd year. This is an odd era for new young talent because we're gonna. Talk, I'm gonna talk about this in just a second as it relates to Kobe. But there wasn't just a whole lot of great players that came out of those early '90s and late '80s draft yeah. classes and stuff. So here's the here's your all star rosters that year. The East was Jordan, Grant Hill. Sean Kemp playing for Cleveland, which always felt weird and was wrong. Uh, Dikembe Mutombo, Anthony Hardaway, and then the bench was Rick Smith's. I think this was his only all-star game. Reggie Miller, Jason Williams' only all-star appearance. Tim Hardaway, Glenn Rice, Steve Smith, and Antoine Walker. That's a strange end of that thing with, with Steve Smith and Antoine Walker. And then the West was, was GP, Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett, Shaq, Carl Malone, still kind of representing the old guard, uh, Eddie Jones, David Robinson, sort of the old guard, although semi-old, I guess, at this point. Vin Baker, Nick Van Exel's only all-star game, Jason Kidd, Mitch Richmond, and then Tim Duncan at the bottom. It's just an interesting group of players to be on on all-star rosters. Those are all really it's good players. The, There's nobody yeah, on it's there. It's not the star power yeah. that you get yeah, the, from these, these years. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. I mean, even like, I mean, Jason Williams and Rick Smiths, those are kind of outlier all-star games for, for as far as like the rest of their career is concerned, but, but they're both quality players for a very long time. And so, you know, you, Jason Williams was somebody who was just coming into his own before this and then, and then he killed a man. So, um, there's that, but it's just very odd. Uh, and as it relates to Kobe, so Simmons made this point and this kind of relates to the end of, of the episode and into the next episode. But since we're talking this all-star game and Kobe and stuff, I really Simmons, like I've said many times, Simmons kind of drives me crazy in a lot of ways, but this was a pretty good point and I'm sure it's not unique. And there's other people that have made the point, but when you get to the end of those first three championships with Jordan, which is, I think what's the next episode is really going to touch on. So we may hit this harder next time around, but 
he doesn't really have a rival. There's not somebody who's coming behind him and pushing him. And I wonder if that makes a difference in his, in the math that goes into his, his head of, I'm going to, I'm going to retire. I'm going to walk away from this. If, if he saw Kobe Bryant coming, if Kobe Bryant came into the league in 91 or 92 instead of 96, does he see Kobe coming and say, no, I'm going to keep pushing because I'm going to fight this guy off? Or does it go the same way? Because you, you know, you watch this, this whole thing and he vanquishes, he vanquishes the Pistons. He's already outlasted uh, Magic and Bird. The Drexler thing, we, you know, gets touched on in this episode. And then even the Barkley stuff, and you get to the end of that. And I wonder if he's if he's looking at these these last few draft classes and just says, Nobody here is gonna challenge me, and that makes that leads to the boredom. Does that make sense? Is that no, resonating? Because totally, he all? basically was talking. I mean, like the I forget who it was. Somebody I think it may have been Armstrong, uh, after that third or no, after well, I don't remember what title, whatever title it was, whenever he won, mm-hmm. and they, and you could see him walking in the locker room after he won, and he just looked like he was just spent. Like he was just, you know, like he wasn't mm-hmm. excited. He was just glad it was over. Mm-hmm. And, and like, sure. considering how competitive he was, if if Kobe, let's say Kobe would have came in in 94 instead of 98. Was it 98? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 96. Yeah. Okay, well, maybe a couple years earlier. But let's say Kobe comes in in the, in the prime, in the middle of that, you know, six, that eight-year mm-hmm. run, and he starts doing what Kobe does. Don't you, I mean, like I, I'm assuming you probably think that if that would push Jordan to stick in and mute and be like, well, I'm not gonna let Kobe come in here and act like he's the next guy, mm-hmm. you know? Cause I just, I don't think he's, he can walk away from that stuff as they clearly showed in these episodes. He's so competitive mm-hmm. and has a, such a gambling spirit that there is, there right. is no way that he walks away. Yeah. If someone steps in mm-hmm. and challenges his chance to possibly, you know, not win. Mm-hmm. I definitely think it, it factors. I don't know if the decision ends up being different, but I think it makes a, it's a factor in his, in his math that wasn't, that's a factor the other way now, you know, as it, as it stood, because there just wasn't some, I mean, Shaq obviously is a thing, but Shaq is a different beast. And I don't think he had that guy that was like pushing him for, I mean, it's not like Jordan was guarding Shaq and vice versa. And, and that I think is a factor. I think that plays as part of this thing. That all, oh, by the way, the shooting shirts that year. Oh my gosh, those are embarrassing. Those are so so bad. It's such a bummer to see great players in garbage shirts and and jerseys and stuff. The shooting sh- the the sleeveless sh- shooting shirt for the Bulls was an abomination. Um, so I love the train. I know you did too because you're a big shoe guy. I love the transition from that All Star game at, at uh, Madison Square into talking about. Uh, the Jordans and Nike and all that stuff. That was a gr- that's one of the better se- to me. That was one of the better segments of of these five episodes. Well, and that's so the thing far. that people don't realize if you're not obsessed about shoes like I am. Uh, Jordan's kind of the first person to wear colorways um, because when he mm-hmm. came in in '84 and '85 and he started wearing those Jordan ones, he was actually breaking league rules by wearing the red and black on the on the shoes, mm-hmm. and a lot of people were cracking on him like you know like because he was being quote-unquote flashy which is ridiculous in hindsight um (laughs) and so he was kind of the person that started that charge now obviously he's not the only one but but that Mm -hmm. was a big deal and then it was really cool to see him pay homage to his possibly last game which what ended up not being but his last you know what he thought was gonna be his last game at msg by wearing the mm-hmm. shoes he wore at first there. Like, that's something that, you know, players these days really think about, you know. But yeah. the the players back then, I don't think they, you know, that would have been something they would consider. It would have been like, you know, mm-hmm. like the fact that he mm-hmm. went out there, you know, and even made the comment of shoes are so much better these days, but I don't care. <laughs> I may, I'm making a point. And when he started doing well, he's like, I don't care if my feet fall off when I'm done. I'm not changing, you know. Like, that was just right. really cool. Right. Also... How crazy is it that Converse had all of those players that they listed and and they and they could not mm-hmm. survive like very much longer than that? Like, because it's just crazy. Yeah. To me. it shows you how important innovation is, and that's the thing that Nike has had over most of these competitors consistently over the last thirty years is is the innovation. And then they have the other thing they have is that they're cool. And it's, I mean, we grew up in this era where Jordan was Jordan and all this sort of stuff. So, you know, we're partial to it, but like nothing has ever replaced Nike brand wise since they made this signing. You know, the Jordans are considering Jordan as a a subsidiary of Nike, I should say, with those two things kind of intermixed. So maybe that's a cheat, but like, you know, uh, growing up, 
there was never a time that I was satisfied with my shoes if they weren't Nike. And I, I mean, we had no money and we, 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 you know, I very rarely got cool shoes, um, or even anywhere close to good shoes. But if I did, it was Nike and it stuck with me to this very day. I still, I don't know. I, I love sneakers. I have terrible, <laughs> I have terrible feet from injuries and, and, uh, and all kinds of stuff like that. But, but, um, I, and so I've had to cut back on my sneaker thing, but, but it, at my peak, I probably had 50 pairs of shoes in my closet and they were all Nikes. I never did anything different. And that's, you know, that starts here, but you're right. Cause that's, that shows the innovation of the brand and that they were able to turn that into cool. And then, then you add that to changing up the shoes and coming out with new technologies and new designs and new looks and colorways and, and being on the forefront of that. It's amazing because they just, they just smoked Converse literally out of the business, you know. Now they own Converse, um, and it all starts. It all starts right here. So that deal, I guess I knew this, but I it had been a while since it had been stated. But David Falk coming on and saying that their goal was three million dollars in sales over four years. They gave him a two hundred fifty thousand dollar deal to be a night, which at the time was just unheard of, and they were trying to get three million dollars over four years. And they sold $126 million worth of shoes in the first year. That's insane. So just some numbers that are like to kind of put that in perspective. So Jordan was asking for $200,000 and they ended up getting $250,000 and he wanted a signature shoe. First and foremost, that does not happen even today with rookies uh, mm-hmm. or even younger players. I think mm-hmm. I think Giannis is the first person that Nike has given a shoe to like before he's been hit the five-year mark. Or has he hit five years? Or, or okay. he's whatever. He's... Probably the quickest they've given a signature shoe um, since, since LeBron. Yeah, but maybe. even LeBron, like I don't think he had a signature shoe for the first couple of years. But anyway, numbers perspective, he was given two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and they sold one hundred twenty six million in the first year. When LeBron graduated from high school and he turned eighteen, he signed a deal with Nike for ninety million dollars for ninety million before he was even drafted by the Cavaliers. That's just to put that in perspective a little bit. So, I mean, like, that's another thing that Jordan has paved the way for as well. Yeah, oh, 100%. Any of these guys in any sport, not just the shoes, but especially the shoes, it's a – you owe Michael a huge debt of gratitude for that because it completely changed the game. I guess I didn't realize how how Nike wasn't really in that game yet. Like, that was news Mm – not news to me, but, like, that was – I guess I didn't realize that they were still basically – seen as a track and field shoe and yep. and that that's just the, i mean that was you know the year i was born was 84 and so that means in, the, mm-hmm. in my lifetime it's basically gone from a track and field shoe that no one really cares about to the only shoe that many people will own mm-hmm. it's it was an overnight transformation i highly recommend uh phil knight's autobiography shoe dog that came out you know i think it was 2018 that, actually I did an audible on it. Um, it's very good. It's very long and there's some stretches that you're just like, okay, bro, like let's, you know, I want to hear about Nike, but he's a really interesting dude. And, and there's some incredible stories on that, but genuinely it's, you talk about overnight success stories. I mean, that guy was, he had been out there hustling and trying to sell this thing and, and had some success before the Jordan thing. It wasn't like it was a, you know, a complete startup or anything, but they, I mean, it completely changed their brand almost overnight. And you see that $126 million in 1985 dollars is insane. That's a crazy amount of money for, for a $250,000 investment plus, you know, whatever commercials and stuff like that. But yeah, it's an insane thing. And they were so smart to, to bring in Spike and to, to do the Mars Blackman thing and just the, the branding with him, you know, I mean that at the end of the day, from a basketball standpoint, it doesn't make any difference at all because Michael Jordan's the best basketball player of all time, or at worst, the second best, if you want to get into that. I don't, but whatever. Um, but the the global marketing superstar Michael Jordan is, you know, there's there's that's a different thing. And it you know, it all start it all started right here. So I love that conversation. I love seeing him wear those. I I kind of remember that, but I it, you know, certainly had faded in the recesses of my mind and him walking off the court saying my feet are bleeding um was was kind of crazy um this 92 team let's talk about that that squad for a bit we had this conversation off the air with some of our friends i it's really dumb to say that there's any team any bulls team that's better than the 72 and 10 team in 95 96 that we'll get to in an episode or two 
if there is a team that could beat them, and I know Wilbon has said this, that, that he thought that team was better. That 92, that, excuse me, that 91-92 team went 67-15, and 15, and they were just cruising through dudes. Um, what do you, th- is, is that even worth having that discussion, that, that team versus the team, you know, a few years later that, that won 72 games? I think it's games? hard to have those conversations because the team that won 72 games, like, it's really hard to argue that they're not the best team ever because of the record, but also like mm-hmm. somebody it's been put out there, but somebody, I don't remember who I wish I could credit, but someone said like, you know, if the bulls had any idea that the warriors would score, would win 73 games, you know, 20 years <laughs> yeah. later, they would, yeah. yeah, Jim Clemens, they would have won 76 yeah. games, or, you know? And so I feel like that <laughs> yeah. comment alone kind of yeah. gives you your answer. Uh, when our buddies was, mm-hmm. was asking my, my response was it, they had Rodman, so they were better. Because because Rodman mm-hmm. was kind of like the final piece that they needed to be even more dominant, but that ninety one ninety two team was probably Jordan at his best, I would think, and so I think that's the difference in my opinion. Yeah, it could be, and and also Horace Grant, and B.J. Armstrong were at this point Horace Grant especially B.J. Armstrong that year was kind of the he still wasn't starting games, but he was kind of coming into his own. He averaged ten points a game that year and and played really well, and so. So yeah, you're you're kind of saying okay, Horace Grant and B.J. Armstrong's versus Dennis Rodman and Tony Kukoc, and they're you know, it's not like those are the only players that change, but but there's some yeah yeah totally. So there's some ins and outs, but that team, I should have gone back and looked at the margin of victory on that, but I mean that team just I that was the first year that I sort of started watching basketball. That was my first Mavs game was was January of '92, and it was like a. A sort of a passing thing where I'd be like, hey, let's watch a little bit of the basketball game. So I remember that that team some, and when you'd watch them, again, WGN and all that stuff, you'd just be like, this isn't even close. Like, this doesn't feel like a contest at all. Um, they just were smoking. And I think BJ, BJ Armstrong was the one who had the quote in this this uh, this uh, episode. He said, I'm trying to find it on my, on my note. I'm sorry. Oh, he says, he says he stopped, he, in regards to Michael, he says he stopped playing he just figured out how to win. And I thought that was a pretty, pretty great quote. I feel bad for, for Clyde Drexler again. <laughs> like this is, you know, Isaiah did a lot to bring tons of, of blame upon himself. Um, there were other guys along the way that I think were victims or excuse me, were, were became Jordan victims who did a lot to create some of that themselves, or at least, you know, he felt like he had to, but like Drexler is one that's just like, he really just went out of his way to make that into a rivalry that really wasn't a rivalry at all. And Clyde's always seemed like a really nice guy. And he just, he just kind of ethered a guy who is a top 50 player of all time. He just, just decimated him over and over and over. Again. Yeah. And it, it just, it sucks too. Cause like I, by all accounts, Clyde Drexler is actually a pretty cool dude, <laughs> you know? And thankfully he mm-hmm. got his, mm-hmm. you know, he's got his titles in Houston. So that's cool for him. Really sucks for Portland, but you know, um, yeah, seriously, it, it's just that's the one thing about Jordan. I think that people love and also don't love about him is that it doesn't matter. Like even with Tony Kukoc, like it doesn't matter if it was their fault or if they brought it on themselves or if someone just decided to you know piss Jordan off that day, mm-hmm. they were going to get the brunt of it. And it's, so it's it's almost like for Kukoc especially, like. It wasn't even his fault. He just got drafted by, by a team, you know, and, yeah, then, yeah. and then they just sure. embarrassed oh him on yeah. a global, you know, a global oh, scale. And yeah. like that's, you know, and you could tell when he was talking, he's still not over it. Like he and they, yeah, and totally. they played 100% together agree. for yeah. years after that. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. like the whole Drexler and so and that's the, that's the one thing like you just kind of feel bad for those guys. But it also is what makes Jordan amazing, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's. You know, I, I said on another previous episode, I think the the Pistons kind of created that no one believes in us, no one wants us thing that teams still to this day use so much. I mean, I, you know, I think even like Kevin Durant at one point with the Warriors was doing the nobody believes us. And you're like, uh, what? <laughs> like that's, that's full on foolishness. But they kind of created that Jordan, if he didn't create the find a way to have a chip on my shoulder to motivate myself thing. He certainly perfected it. And, and Drexler is one of those guys that just took the brunt of that, um, that, you know, the shrug, the six threes in the half and 35 points in the half and the shrug and all that, that's iconic. I don't know because Jordan is Jordan and he has so many of those moments and those, those pictures in your mind. Um, I don't know where that, that sits on the, you know, on the, on his highlight reel, you know, but it's up there 
and it's a that's one of the few that I remember watching live or or close to live, you know, maybe a replay on Sports Center or something, but you see that and you're just like that's the coolest thing ever. Like the shrug past Clifford Robinson and all that was is just super cool um and iconic. So then we move from that. So they, they're the third team in NBA history to, to win back-to-back titles, which is crazy because that's now kind of the thing. I mean, you know, most, lots of teams we've had for the last, for our lifetimes, Tobin, most of the the teams that have won have won, you know, multiple championships. Um, that's an interesting, interesting thought. And then I, just freaking amazing. You see right after that championship, they're out there celebrating and the and Jordan's doing the two, the two fingers and the um, the two trophies and all this sort of stuff. And then Jerry Krause sitting there talking about the organization. And that was, golly, man. It's it's amazing that, that that started publicly on the air so long ago from where it ends up in 98, from where, you know, it fully falls apart. I had no idea that he was out there selling that, um, you know, in literally in the in the locker room after they're celebrating their, their second championship, that he's in there trying to pull some of the, some of the glory towards yeah, himself. Total, I, I, like, it's amazing that, they won things like if it wasn't Mm -hmm. for Jordan, they would be a disaster franchise. Basically. I cannot believe that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just crazy because the dude made a lot of really smart moves and, and then he didn't, you know, the last decade or so of his, of his tenure was kind of disaster, not kind of, it was, it was very disastrous. Um, but for, for a decade, 15 years, that dude really did get it. He really did have an understanding of, what the team needed and who they were looking for and, and an eye for talent and all this sort of stuff. And he just couldn't handle that. He wasn't getting the, the, the amount of glory that he felt like he needed, which is kind of insane because how many GMs can you name from this era of basketball? I can't think of another one except for like Norm Sanju, the guy who was the GM for the Mavs. And that's only cause I'm a Mavs fan. Like I, I, I there's, I, the idea that he wasn't getting enough notoriety is insane to me. Um, but it, it, you know, it really plays to his whole, the Napoleon complex and all that sort of stuff. Um, let's talk about the dream team. They really kind of, they went over this quickly. Um, I would have, I could have used some more time on this, but at the same time it was handled really pretty extensively in that dream team documentary that came out a few years ago on NBA TV, which is great. I'm sure I know you've seen it, but if your listeners, if you haven't, that's one that's definitely worth seeking out. It's really good. Um, and Jack McCallum's Jack McCallum's book, The Dream Team, is really good as well. That's definitely worth checking out if you're if you're into that kind of thing. Um, but let's talk about the 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 Jordan Isaiah thing. So again, they sort of glazed over it here. I have always heard it reported as Jordan held out on whether or not he was gonna participate in the Olympics and be on the dream team for a long time. He stretched it out for a very long time, and that I've always heard it stated that he basically told, you know, everybody in charge, I'm not playing if Isaiah, if Isaiah Thomas is on the team. And then the way it's kind of phrased in this, it's more of somebody, him calling being like, so who's playing? He phrased it as if he was saying, let me know who's playing. And them saying, well, Isaiah's not going to be on the team. And then him saying, okay, yeah, I'm going to do it. So... (laughs) Where do you fall on this? Do you feel like Jordan is is pushing the blame away publicly here, or is that do you feel like that's more an accurate? I mean, we're we're speculating, we're just guessing, but where do you fall on that little that small? I feel debate, like I guess? you know it's pretty obvious that if, if Jordan didn't want to play with him, they're not going to put him on there. But like they they handled it mm-hmm. well in this document, basically saying, look, he had problems with Magic, he had problems with Bird, he had problems with Lambeer, you know, and it was like I, the the common denominator here is that Isaiah is a jerk. You know, mm-hmm. and, and we've known that for years now, you know, but it's it's like like my, my wife was sitting with me and she said, man, they didn't like that guy. I was like, no one liked that guy. Like he was a fantastic yep. point guard. He was, you know, really good in the league and stuff like that. He won two titles. He won a you know, college championship, but he was a jerk. And when you're a jerk, mm-hmm. you don't get chosen to do things like this. This is not something that you ha- you are forced to do. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not an all-star game where people where fans put you in. And if half the team hates you, you're not going to get put on the team. And so, right. I mean, I, I had known that he had problems with Magic and Isaiah, you know, Magic and Bird and others. This kind of like reminded me of that. And so I was like, because at first I was like, oh, it's totally, you know, Jordan. But now I was like, well, yeah, it makes total sense why they didn't put him on the team. He half the team would have mm-hmm. not been around, wanted to be around him. And as we saw, I'm sure you're talking in a second in that that scrimmage. 
that was already pretty tense. And if you throw Isaiah mm-hmm. in there, I think yeah. it gets worse. And I think it go, I think it does the opposite <laughs> yeah. effect of what it did, you know, to that team that day. Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree. Um, to be to be fair, Mike Wilbon tw- tweeted yesterday or the day before uh, an apology to Isaiah Thomas and said, you know, I I heard from after the episode aired, I heard from multiple sources saying that it wasn't half the guys that were anti Isaiah, um, but. So he apologized and you know clarified his statement. But also, we know Michael, Magic, and Larry didn't want to play with Isaiah. Those are the three only guys that matter. <laughs> when it really comes down to it, it doesn't matter what what Clyde Drexler thinks or what or what who Christian Leitner wants on this team or does not want on this team. It matters what and it's those, one of those three guys, guys is David want. Robinson, and he likes everybody. So you know, like, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It is a bummer in. I say a slight bummer. Again, I, I've never liked Isaiah Thomas from a from a talent standpoint. As good as he was, he absolutely should have been on this team. There's no question he should have been on the team. Um, and if if we're not counting personalities and and past uh, grievances and grudges and stuff like that, he absolutely is on the team. I don't know whose place he takes. I think Christian Leitner makes the team no matter what because I think they wanted a college guy on there. But maybe he takes Chris Mullen's spot or. I don't know, Clyde, maybe Clyde Drexler. I don't know, but gosh, can um, you imagine? he takes somebody's spot. Oh my gosh, that makes me that, oh, that makes me sad that you even brought up Poor his Clyde. name. Poor Clyde. <laughs> Clyde is so he was so my grandpa's favorite player. By the way, it was always a weird thing. He'd always ask me about whenever I'd come into town. Uh, they lived in the literal middle of nowhere. They had you know four channels, but he, you know he would ask me about basketball. He was like, "How's Clyde the Glide doing?" He loved he loved Clyde Drexler. Um, which is always funny to me, but, but yeah, somebody misses, misses the team. Cause you, you can't really make a case for why. I mean, his look, Isaiah was, he, he was dwindling, but the year before this, before the 91, 92 season, he was an all-star. He averaged 18 points a game, seven assists, three boards. A st- I mean, he was still really good. So there's no case to be made for him not being on the team other than he was a jerk and people didn't like him. And I, you know, I, I'm sure he feels like he's been uh, there's I don't know that he's been cheated out of this because then you remember too he was on the second dream team but he got <laughs> injured and didn't get to play yeah, in any of the games. I shouldn't laugh at that, but and and his career ended. I mean, he retired after that. It's a real bummer for him. But also, you know, so, I, trying to keep it PG and friendly, you know. <laughs> You bump into a jerk in the morning, you bumped into a jerk. You bump into jerks all day, you're the yeah. jerk, you know? I mean, that's just the, that's well, the way it kids, is. Well, um, and kids, if you're so, listening, remember this. If you aren't nice to people, you won't get to play with Michael Jordan in the, in the Olympics. So <laughs> it's a good life lesson. If you, don't, if you want yeah. to play with Michael Jordan, don't well, be a jerk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you want to be in Space Jam 3, yeah. the reboot, you've got to be nice to people. Um, but for real, though, like... Look, the bad boys and Isaiah, they chose to play a specific way and it worked. They won two stinking championships in the midst of, of like really great basketball, by the way. They won championships when when Bird Celtics and Magic's Lakers and and uh, Jordan's Bulls were, were all in the lead. That's insane. That's really, really good. There are consequences for your actions, you know, and for Isaiah, the consequences. He's and not that's on the, the thing I kind of I kind of wish they would have. But I, it, I, I wish he would have leaned into it and just been like. Well, I have two titles over those guys, you know, and like, if mm-hmm. you would lean into it, I would have I totally so much more respect, yeah. but you can tell that it's what it's, you know, almost, well, gosh, I can't do math. It's yeah. Almost, almost 30, 30 years, years after yeah. the fact. And he still is salty about it. And and, and mm-hmm. he has the yep. right to be, but also he only has himself to blame, like in, in maybe some Jordan, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, like, it's just, you know, it, it's, you won two titles in the, like you said, in, in a good basketball era because right. you decided to play this role and it's like there's, mm-hmm. there's consequences yeah. for that. And so yeah. totally agree. It worked for you. So lean into it, man. Be, be the guy that it's just, I mean, it's, Carl it's, Malone it's, it's was on that team and you got more titles than he does. So <laughs> yeah, totally. Stockton too. Yeah. Barkley too. Ewing too. You know what I mean? It's, it's, you can Mullen. I mean, there's not a lot of champions on this, on this roster when you really get yeah. down to it. So um, despite the fact that it's the best team ever assembled. So, um, it is what it is. Uh, I love the, the footage from that scrimmage and Jordan and magic John at each other and going back and forth. <laughs> I love the quote that you can hear. And I think magic is like off screen yelling it. He says, if you don't, t- or no, he, you know what? I'm sorry. It was in a talking head. He says, he said to Michael, if you don't turn into air Jordan, we're going to blow y'all out. <laughs> <Whoops>. <laughs> he says, man, what did I say that for? Yeah. <laughs> 
because because here comes Michael. Um, that was pretty great. And then you get the the stuff with Kukoc, which we've talked about a little bit, but. I remember this a little bit. I watched, I love those games. I watched all those, those games, I think probably on tape delay as much as anything, but you know, I remember Tony Kukoc being a thing that was like, this is a guy who's coming over. And at that time, you know, I loved Drossen Petrovic. I loved Sarunas Marshallonis. And I'd heard that like this guy Sabonis was over there somewhere and stuff. So I was really interested in European basketball at whatever, nine years old, whoever I was in, in 92. And then you watch that game and you see Kukoc, and at the time I didn't understand, oh, he's basically being double teamed by the two best defenders in yeah. the world, uh, Jordan and Scotty, just because they're mad at Jerry Krause. Like, gosh, what a mean, petty thing to do. And they held the dude to four points. Like, oof, that was, that was kind of rough to watch. And you're totally right. You can tell he, he is not okay <laughs> with that. He's not okay. Which, which is mind-boggling because he ended up winning three titles with them and mm-hmm. played with them yeah. for a lot longer. And this is – I don't know. This is weird. But, like, Jordan kind of, like, released a little bit. He's like, oh, I love Tony, blah, blah, blah. But they never really fully said, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we really love Tony, Tony Kukos. He was a really important part to our teams. They never – he never, yeah. like, fully owned up to it. It was almost like he was mm-hmm. like, yeah, we did it, and I would do it again, and I still don't really like the yeah. guy just because of Jerry Krause. Like, I totally agree. I don't think they ever accepted which him is such as a, that's, one of that's their That's the guys. one thing about yeah. all this stuff where I'm just like, can you really have Jordan without this pettiness? Because I don't know, I don't know like, what, the, to, answer, yeah, what sure, the answer to that sure. is. But if you could, it's like that's the one character flaw of like – Man, it mm-hmm. would it would have been really cool if y'all like I, I like the fact that y'all embarrassed him when he was you know in Croatia, but whenever he came to your team, that should have been like your time to like embrace him, you know, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's just you know even sure. like the, we we kind of skipped over this, but like even like the whole Horace Grant throwaway, the the immediate mm-hmm. the immediately oh, yeah. Yeah. they were like, oh, it was Horace, and I'm like, wait, what? Like where did that come from? And like and then mm-hmm. Horace Grant was clearly or was obviously didn't agree, but. You can right. tell that there is still some animosity on these teams that you're just like, what in the world? How did y'all win six mm-hmm. titles? <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I totally agree. And, you know, we're going to talk. So we're, we're kind of we're, we're segueing into the next episode. I think this is this, the part this episode. And then what I assume is going to be a lot of the, the next episode when it really talks, get into the gambling thing and the off the court stuff and, and, that's always been held up as like the thing that I, that was going to make people not like Michael Jordan. And then you add to that, like the pettiness and the stuff that his, you know, his intensity and, and how hard he was on teammates and stuff like that. None of that bothers me. And in fact, I like it more, like him more now than I did at the beginning of this, which I wouldn't have thought possible. None of that bothers me at all. The the Kukoc thing is the one of the maybe the only spot where I feel like he he looks actually bad. I feel like up most of the time throughout the course of this and throughout his career, the pettiness drives him to be you know who he is, and he's kind of awesome about it. Like there's a weird almost nobody could pull off that level of pettiness and still seem cool, but Michael Jordan can do it. The Kukoc thing is the one spot where I feel like man, you look like just a total jerk on this. Like that, that poor kid had that, it had nothing to do with him. And, whatsoever. He, and honestly, um, like it, it's really lucky that he was able to make it over here and still be successful because there's mm-hmm. a lot of no, players totally in that situation yeah. that would have never even made it over to Chicago. Yep. Yep. And by the way, he's, I, I loved Tony, Tony Kukoc's game was fantastic. What am I, I mean, my, my style of play, you know, the, the kind of point forward guy who could, who could stretch the floor. I, he, I'm not going to Simmons this because this is like the only point that we've got. Apparently, when you go on these Simmons, this is like, oh, if he was in today's game, he'd shoot 19 threes a game. You know, he'd really, you know, he was a before his era, before his time kind of guy. Kukoc really is. Kukoc is a guy who, if you put him in the mod, if you put his his game into the modern NBA, uh, I just think his his stat lines are are much are improved significantly, and he's he's a really a really useful player. Uh, for more than the way that he was used with the totals, I think. So, all right. So we kind of, we've segued into the next episode. I thought the open on, Oh, I can't, I'm sorry. I've got us. 
the the music cue at the end of that episode with Outcast. Oh boy, like yeah. let's, let's yeah. Go. Whoever's deciding, whoever's so been deciding good. the music for this episode deserves a, yeah. an Emmy, or like or or whatever award uh, goes to this. So right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> a Peabody Award or something. They Nobel they deserve some sort of award. Okay, I'm in. Let's do it. It certainly made me feel more peaceful. Um. That's not true. I was reading Rec Shop. Like, that, that's the hardest part about all of this is like I don't have a gym to go to and shoot or play ball or anything right now because of because of quarantine and stuff. And and I'm like so pumped up after watching. I'm super jealous of our friend Richard. Richard's been texting me during the, the midst of this. He's got a Peloton and he's just been working out through the course of these two hours. He's like, I'm just I'm so pumped up. I'm getting a crazy amount of burning calories because uh, I'm able to do this. I, I I'm jealous of that. All right, in episode five, that starting point with the interview thing where he's just over and over talking about how it's kind of not great to be him and stuff, boy, that really resonates when you know what this next season is going to be like and then where we go from there in September when he announces yeah. his retirement. It was it was really hard to see on his face, like, basically the the light go out. It's what it felt like. Mm-hmm. In... in <laughs> My, my my wife asked the question of where are his wife and kids? And I said, you're seeing mm-hmm. why his marriage didn't work and why his kids are, yep. you know, by all accounts, kind of not really in his life, at least in this time. Mm-hmm. I don't know about yep. now, but um, I mean, I know like we've seen Marcus Jordan in the in the league a couple of times, you know, in, in college basketball. And he kind of he kind of flamed mm-hmm. out and stuff like that. I don't know about Jeffrey, but you know, you're seeing exactly why. And they kind of touched on that about how this, this life was not glamorous for him. And he, you know, and Mm -hmm. it it about broke him and sometimes it did break him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and then you get the Jordan rules. They did a really good job of, of crafting that into, uh, into this episode and into the series, the way that, that, that played out. Um, with the, the the way that they've they've structured that in, I'm trying to find because that came out in '92. And gosh, how how snaky does Sam Smith look, dude? I hate Sam Smith. I, I and I I've always felt like he was Sam Smith is a guy that you have to have him in this because he had he had access and stuff. And I'm not saying that Sam Smith is undeserving because uh, he's a you know he is a good he is a very good writer and and he you know he did the job for a really long time and and all that sort of stuff, but like Sam Smith is so full of crap and he, and there are so many so many times in the like early it's not it wasn't even NBA Twitter because Twitter didn't exist but like the early rumor mongering on the internet that happened, Sam Smith made up so much garbage. He made up so many trade rumors and just bull that were related to the bulls. And it, I don't know, it always struck me the wrong way. And I, I kind of hate listening to him. So I enjoyed that he was not in this episode much and was kind of getting smashed on by a lot of people. He's always rubbed me the wrong way. And again, you have to have him in the, in, in the documentary and he has to be a part of it because he had access and he's so important to it. It's not like Peter Vesey trying to insert himself into something that had nothing to do with him, but you kind of have to have him. But, but I've, I've never been a fan of that dude. And so I kind of just looks like a snake they, and like, and even even like whenever yeah, they, they yeah. cut to him after they introduced the Jordan Rules book, and he just he like has his hand on his cheek, and he's just kind of that got a devilish smile. It's like you knew exactly what you were doing, you know. And it's like, and like mm-hmm. I'm all for mm-hmm. like you know journalism, and I and I think that you know there's a there's a way to do journalism, and in, in trying to break a team and break a psyche of people is mm-hmm. it's just never going to be something sure. I'm okay with. Like I don't care if it's warranted or not. You, like yeah. You have a journalistic integrity to report what you report and to, to report the facts, excuse me, and to, um, you know, not to sugarcoat things, but, but you're right. Like there's a, there's a difference to me between what Sam Smith did with the Jordan rules and even what like John Feinstein did with the season on the brink. I, I, a season on the brink is, is kind of similar in that it like really brought some things to light, but in hindsight, that was fully on like, why in the world did they let him do this? Like, no, Bobby Knight is the worst person in the world to have a journalist just hanging out with him all the time. That was an insane thing to do. Um, yeah, I, I'm with you. Sam Smith has always felt a little more, a little more narky <laughs> than it is journalistic. And, and it's always, it's always bothered me. So, 
you know, I didn't I didn't mind that they were kind of smashing him. Um, what do you think about Horace Grant and and the speculation that he's the source, and then Horace just very much saying, "No, I would. That's I, not me. I don't know. I don't know. I, I didn't to know what to make. It, but I tend to I tend to believe Horace Grant. Like, I just don't feel like he has any reason mm-hmm. to. Like, I mean, he's if anything, he I feel like he was just villainized, and I I almost wonder if he that's why he was he was shipped out because he he knew like or like they were trying to make make a villain to cover tracks because of what Sam Smith did. Basically. That's what it feels like at least. Sure. I need to go back and read Jordan rolls. It's been, I don't know, 20 years close to it since I've, since I've read that one. Um, I don't think I even have a copy of it anymore. I need to track one down. Uh, David Halberstam's book. They may touch on this later. His book playing for, this is like the fourth book reference I've made in this, this uh, podcast. I'm sure our listeners are super pumped about all the homework I'm giving you. Uh, Playing for Keeps, the 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 David Halberstam book is, I think, is much better, but it's less controversial, and that's so that's why you know this book gets all the gets all the attention. So uh, Ryan Rosillo on Simmons this week. I'll stop talking about Simmons soon. I apologize. Uh, I I did really like his take that that he's just he's super fed up with that this is the thing that we consistently do with our heroes is we build up these people to places that they're they're unreachable unrealistic and unreachable and ridiculous and then we spend all of our time trying to tear them down and sometimes i i don't know how you feel about this sometimes i feel like that's a modern thing and i think it's partly because of twitter because twitter is just the ultimate platform for for cancel culture and for tearing people down um whether they actually deserve it or not so i kind of think of it as a modern thing but then you go back and you look at what Jordan went through in the course of this these two seasons and it's it's really insane that we we've, we've that that we've been doing that for so long and that we didn't learn our lessons when we got to LeBron you know yeah and it's it really it's it's another one of those things of I really don't want to like have media be ruining these things but I also like but mm-hmm. it's it's that age-old argument of you know who's it who's at fault in this situation is it the media or is it the players like you know like I mean in one of your favorite heroes Barry Bonds dealt with this his whole career as well you know right. and it's like yeah was Barry Bonds a jerk yeah but he also had to put up with mm-hmm. with garbage mm-hmm. from from media right. members all day long and it's just you know and every day and so yeah, mm-hmm. it, it really is a bummer that we do this. And, and I think LeBron is a perfect example of, you know, because, like, you know, even though there's things that he does that you that you don't like and people don't like, like, the dude has done so mm-hmm. many great sure. things for, like, the humankind, you know. And, it, and, mm-hmm. and there's so many times it just kind of gets pushed aside because, oh, let's talk about, you know, this this thing that he did and this thing he did. And so it just, mm-hmm. it's just kind of a bummer. Mm-hmm. It's just a... The Jordan stuff especially always has always bothered me because it doesn't feel like there's any substance. It's it's people are getting angry that he's super competitive in practice. Well, no duh. I mean, that's what did you think he was? I mean, we even in 91 and 92, we knew that he was borderline psychopathic when it came to the competitiveness. So you don't you think that doesn't extend to practice? What are you talking about? Yeah, of course also why it does. His teams of course were amazing, it does. So yeah, I mean that's how he weeded people out. And Bill Cartwright is a great example of this. That, and it's in this Sam Smith book where you get these details on like when they traded Oakley, his best friend, when they traded Jordan's best friend for for Bill Cartwright, that he would that Jordan really took it to Cartwright and would throw passes to him too hard on purpose, would purposefully throw at him too hard so that he couldn't catch it, so that he could you know go after him about not. But guess what? Bill Cartwright became one of his best friends on the team. Became one of somebody that he really trusted. Became somebody who he really valued on the court and his his leadership and his protection and all this sort of stuff. Like that's how that you can say all day that maybe that's not the the best way to be a leader or maybe, but it worked for him. And I just it was always shocking to me, be like, oh wow, Jordan's a jerk in practice. Well, of course he is. I, I it's just so stupid. And then you get into the gambling thing where. <laughs> This is going to get touched on more in the next episode because we're going to get into his dad's death. And I assume they're at least going to touch on the conspiracy that his dad's death was a direct result of, of money that he owed, which I don't is not a thing that I have ever believed. And in hindsight, I don't know, know that even when that was making the rounds is like a really that was really being pushed that I really understood what a gross assumption that was and how 
awful <laughs> that was in a lot of ways. But but so we're going to touch more on the gambling, I assume, in the next episode, and maybe we'll get deeper into it. But like, where do you stand on this? Because this has yeah. always seemed like the biggest non-story to me that got blown up into the into such a huge deal. Like this doesn't doesn't seem like a, consp- a a controversy to me at all, and yet. It was the it was such a big deal that ten year old me knew that this was a deal and that this was a big thing that people yeah, were talking it's, about. Yeah, it's it's not really fair to to again kind of going back to that that whole adage of we're we're trying to tear him down. It's like like every team, if you go on every team flight from nineteen ninety one to now, there's gonna be gambling card games on that flight. You know, like and so it's that's a little bit of a stretch to say that he was having a problem, you know. Uh mm-hmm. The whole going to Atlantic City in the middle of a series thing, like, I I understand why that was a story, and I understand why people blew it out of proportion, but it's like, that's no different than people in Miami going to clubs and getting blitzed, you know, until 3 a.m. and then coming back to play the next game. Like, mm-hmm. like I don't mm-hmm. see how that's any different, Like I, and, and I think that that's just, it's unfair. Um, yeah. The thing is that I don't think people, and I don't understand either. I do think he had a problem necessarily. I wouldn't necessarily say it was like mm-hmm. it was a huge problem, but the the thing, the whole thing that centers around is the dude was competitive. He needed to constantly be competing. It didn't matter if it was on the basketball mm-hmm. court. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter if it was on the golf course. It didn't matter if it was in the casino. He had to be competing at all times, and I'm sure they will touch on the reasons for that because I'm sure, you know it's, it's just like mm-hmm. any other person that has vices. They're doing it to hide you know insecurities and hurts and things that things they're trying to mm-hmm. get their minds off of. You know, and it's un, it's unfair to to completely just blanket him as a as this mm-hmm. problem. And they even touched on that that if you know if he even said if this is the worst thing you can say about me, then so be it. You know, because in really totally. in reality, it is like he doesn't have any other huge scandals other than maybe some infidelity here and there. Like you know, but like right. he didn't he didn't get into drugs by all accounts. He didn't get you know like super into alcohol by all accounts. In fact, they even talked about it in the first episode where he was staying away from some of that stuff because, you know, Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. it's just, it just seems like, like kind of to Rosillo's point of we are just completely, you know, going to tear this guy down who is also the person that saved our game and in in a lot of respects. And so it's Mm -hmm. just kind of a bummer. Yeah. I totally agree. I, the idea that, this pops up every once in a while still. I, players have gotten smarter about it. And by smarter, I just mean that they're better at, at concealing their, their behaviors now because of social media and stuff. We've, we've <laughs> in some way you could say we've shamed them into better behavior, which is stupid, but, um, th- but it still pops up, pops up every once in a while. If you see a player out at a casino at two o'clock in the morning, that's not a story. These guys live nocturnal lives. They have to because they work until midnight and then they fly somewhere. Like there's no, (laughs) there's no world in which you have a normal sleep schedule. So if, if Damari Carroll is out at a casino the night before a basketball game or certainly two nights before, who cares? This is normal life for them. They're, if you if you want that to change, then guess what? All NBA games get played at 2 o'clock in the afternoon so we can make sure they get home and have time to with their families and have time to get a good night's rest. I mean, that's just that's the reality of the situation. It doesn't mean that they're not dedicated to the game, especially the, to, to insinuate that Michael Jordan, <laughs> that Michael Jordan has a gambling problem that's getting in the way of his basketball career is insane and what a stupid thing to to spend so much time and energy focusing on it it's it's always driven me crazy uh, again like 10 year old me was just like this is dumb y'all I, and we're still we're still kind of dealing with it here but i hadn't seen I, I i guess i didn't know all the details of that too with the with the uh with with slim bueller and 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 or Bueller or whatever and the michael and me book and and all these things that they get, but you can tell more. The, the most important thing about that though, though Tobin is that you can tell it war on him and you can tell he, he's a different person from, uh, the, the end of the 92 Olympics, which really completely vaults him into a compl- like an, a, a world, all his own as a, a worldwide superstar. He's like the biggest person in the world, uh, post post dream team, to the end of of this season when he ended up announcing his retirement, there's such a huge difference between him, between those two Michael Jordans. And also, like, 
whatever they were talking about, like, you know, he, he wrote a check for, I don't remember the number, it was like, what, $127,000, something like that. It's like, you guys don't understand, yeah. like, that's, that is chump change in gambling perspectives for him. For us, Absolutely. it's a lot. And yeah. yes, if, if my wife found out that I gambled 127000 I would be on the street, you know. But for him, <laughs> that's a little bit different because that is just a – like I bet you he probably did six-figure betting every time he was on the golf course, you know. And, mm-hmm. oh, and for so sure. it's just yeah. – I don't know. It, it's the, – the whole – like I like you said, I was 10, 11 when this all was going down and I remember hearing this and thinking that doesn't seem to – you know, line up, and then, mm-hmm. like I'm sure we're gonna, they're gonna get into, is it played into his dad's murder, and that was the point where me as a kid, I was like, this really sucks. Like, not only is it, you know, mm-hmm. like as mm-hmm. a kid, I was like, it sucks that he's being drugged through with this. It sucks that he lost his dad, right. and then it sucks that he quit basketball because of all this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. in in all right. those conspiracies, and it, yeah, that that was awful. And I, I, I I'm really totally. nervous about that part of the story, honestly. Like, I I don't mm-hmm. really want. I, I'm really nervous yeah. about it. I'm expecting to cry next week. I'll be honest. Um, it's that stuff always always gets to me. Let's talk about the basketball here for a minute. So 90, 93, the Knicks and the Suns. I, I still think that's the best. Those are probably the best teams that they played in these three years. The Knicks team that year was 16 and 22. They had home court advantage against the bulls. That was their shot. The, you know, the, the, they made the, I mean, they made the finals the next year when they traded for Harper in the middle of the season um, and you know, they should have won the finals that year. If not for John Starks, this team was the best chance they had to beat the bulls and they were up two Oh, it's just, you know, I was a Knicks fan growing up. Um, this was like, you know, I really jumped up the next year when they traded for Harper cause Harper was my favorite player and the Mavs just sucked so bad that there was just no reason to, to care about the Mavs, but beyond, you know, my in- internal like soul that just couldn't let it go. Um, but I was rooting for the Knicks hard during this series and they had it and they're up to O and, uh, going back to Chicago and then Jordan actually had a really bad game that next game. You know, you had the controversy of him going to Atlantic city with his dad and stuff Game three, he was three for 18 from the field, but he took 17 free throws and he had like that Michael Jordan fire that I don't know necessarily was missing in the first two games, but but knowing what we know about him, knowing that he's a guy that just finds ways to amp himself up and get angry and then you give him a reason to get angry, he had he had a lot going in that game. Um, and then if in game, game four, he comes out and he scores 54 points. And so it maybe wasn't quite the same as, as we talked last week with the the Lakers final series where once they won game two, it was over, but because in game five, it was a really tight game and you get that Charles, the, the infamous Charles Smith highlight reel of death where he just gets blocked over and over at the rim. Um, but you know that, you know, game, game six, didn't even matter at all. So they, they still fought it out. That Knicks team did through game five, but to be up two Oh, against the bulls and finally be like, all right, we've done it. We're going to, we're going to break through here. Whoops. Yeah. And that's <laughs> the thing goes, I think you know. with any other player, this isn't a thing, but with Jordan, it did not matter. It did not matter how far you were mm-hmm. up. It did not matter how far you were, you know, you were ahead of him. There was always a way to get him back in the series and the game and whatever. And, you know, it's, it's a really, a testament to what he did and what those teams did is the fact that Charles mm-hmm. Barkley, Carl Malone, John Stockton, Patrick Ewing, who are all Hall of Famers, literally have zero titles because of him. And right. Right. I mean, and, and even with Patrick Ewing, especially anytime his name is mentioned, it's almost immediately within the next couple of steps goes to Jordan and him not having mm-hmm. a title. You know, and sure. you could say the same for you know Malone and Stockton and, and Barkley, and it's just it, it's. There's there's not another comparison to that in these days. Like Kobe and you know and the Spurs mm-hmm. tried to do that a little bit, but you know, because now it's not only that that those players that aren't getting titles will just join the other teams, <laughs> you know, and it's just Jordan. Sure. Jordan stopped that. He stopped people's careers in their tracks, mm-hmm. and it did not it did not matter, mm-hmm. you know, what you were doing. Right. So then we move from that Knicks team. I, I think you can make a pretty good case that that's the best team agree. they played yeah. over the course of of the of that three year run. 
And then they, you know, they get to the finals though. And I will say, I, I've seen, I saw a couple or heard a couple of, of national people say that, that in hindsight, they didn't think that Suns team was that great. And I disagree. I think this is the best team they played, uh, in the finals in this run. Um, because I don't think you can understate how awesome Charles Barkley was that first year in Phoenix and, and those first couple of years in Phoenix and how, when you add that to Kevin Johnson and, and Thunder Dan, and they just had a really good team, and then they had the MVP, and Barkley was unbelievable. Well, and it's that even season. it's even um, like you know Jordan hinted at it, and it's like that team was great, and Jordan's motivation for that series was Mowerly was liked by Kraus, and Barkley was given the MVP, and it's like so you you, you did nothing to deserve you know to deserve yeah. the wrath. Poor Thunder Dan. You know Dan Mowerly did nothing. Yeah. He could have been the nicest guy in the world. <laughs> And he got owned because Jerry Krause liked him. And then Barkley, because he had an amazing season and won MVP, it pissed off Jordan, and then Jordan went after him. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. that's the kind of pettiness that you don't yep. see these days. Like, you see the fake pettiness that mm-hmm. the, you know, we're going to come in there, we're going to show them, and then, and then it's like, you know, but, you know, Jordan, he meant it. And it, any reason he mm-hmm. had to take it out on you, he was going to find it, and he was going to do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. And and so that finals is still one of my favorite finals ever. That was the, probably the first finals that I watched every single game and was like really, really into it. I was rooting for the Suns because, you know, I wanted, the, you know, I just was rooting against Michael throughout. Um, but the, but that was, I mean, it's a great final. So game one was, a, was just a, a pretty much a blowout. The Bulls were the Bulls and Charles Barkley said in the, in the, in the episode, you know, my, you know, it's on me. We weren't ready and it was my fault that we weren't ready. Game two is one of the all-time great finals games, I think, in NBA history. Um, and you have Barkley and, and MJ going at each other. The stat lines from those games, Barkley had 42 points, 13 boards, 4 assists, a block, and a steal. Jordan had 42 points, 12 boards, 9 assists, 2 steals. Um, and it was, you know, it's just a battle. And then you get to game three, which is another one that's just one of the all-time great NBA finals games. And that's the one that went into triple overtime, and, and the Suns ended, up, uh, Suns ended up coming out on top. Um, here's what's fascinating to me about that game, dude. Um, I was looking at the, the box score on it. Obviously it went into triple overtime, so it was a close game, but you usually get like, you might get a one quarter where the team wins by six points and then later they make it up. This is the quarter by quarter breakdown of that game. First quarter, 29, 29, uh, second quarter, Phoenix outscored the bulls, 29, 28, third quarter, 28, 28, fourth quarter, 18 to 17 Chicago over Phoenix. Like it was, that's crazy, crazy back and forth the way that went down. Um, and then game four, MJ scores 55 points and, or, uh, yeah. And then after game five, you get the infamous, I'm only packing one suit. And I, that's been co-opted so many times over the, the last 25 years. I don't know if he's the first one to do it, but I do know that's the first one I remember doing it. And that's the coolest. Yeah. Thing I mean, I've even ever. the Maz did that whenever they did their one in 2011. And so, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, uh-huh. it's, it's crazy, yeah. you know, how that has just kind of taken off as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you also had like Brian Russell famously did that too. And then they lost. So, um, <laughs> you, if you're going to pull that card, you got to make sure you get it right. Game six there with the game on the line. Uh, the ball goes to Horace Grant who makes a great feed. There's been all kinds of speculation about maybe Horace Grant kind of wilt, wilted in the spotlight there, but he made the right, he made the right move. And John Paxson was wide open the only fourth quarter points by anyone uh, on the Bulls who is not Michael Jordan, um, which is that that you know, was a crazy stat as well. Like, mm-hmm. like you see guys mm-hmm. take over, but that that's a whole nother level. Like to do a whole quarter where you actually score more than like ten points, you know, too. Like it's not like they just went in mm-hmm. there and didn't score yeah. points. You know, like that's just it's insane yep. to me. Yep. It reminded me a lot of that. We we two or three weeks ago we did the LeBron the Cavs uh, Pistons game from uh, what was it oh five oh seven oh seven um and that you know the stat lines that were coming out of that of like no one scored a point for the Cavs except LeBron and since the you know the beginning of the fourth quarter that kind of stuff it was pretty crazy. Um, this is the last thing I'll say on that game. We we were talking about this off the air the other day. We always it's just funny how the eras work and and the way that you know we always talk about that we're obviously we're shooting way more threes than ever before. But you you think back on those guys on John Paxson's on Steve Kerr's on players like that who were known as sharpshooter three point bomber types type guys. John Paxson in his career that season that 92 93 season he averaged 0.73s a game like we think of him as some big bomber 
in his career, the most three point attempts. I don't mean, I'm not saying makes attempts per game was 1.7 in 86, 87 for his career. He, he took one on the dot, one three point shot per game. And we think of him as like this great, I mean, again, it's the era I understand. I'm not, but it's just funny to me that like, if you would have asked me before and when I, before I went back and looked said, Hey, how many, how many threes per game did John Paxson's take in 93 or 92, 93? I just said, I don't know, like two and a half, maybe three. No, barely, not even one, not even one. It's crazy stuff. But one of the great, sh- I, that series ruled. And in, in hindsight, I almost wish it had gone to seven just because we would, so we could have got another game out of it. Um, would have been great. Yep. Lots of fun. Uh, you get that quote to, to kind of end this episode that Michael says, physically I was getting exhausted, but mentally I was way past exhausted. And then you see his celebration after winning that third title. And the, the it's just a stark difference between um, the first two and this one. And I don't think it was at all the, hey, we've already been here. We've done this. I've, I've reached this mountaintop previously. I think it was maybe 99% what a beatdown this whole year has been dealing mm-hmm. with all this totally. garbage. Which is just, again, like, <laughs> like I want to go back in time and be like, guys, we could have had eight uninterrupted years if you guys would have just shut up mm-hmm. like that's what i, yep. I want to go to the media totally. about so <laughs> totally so next week we're going to end up i'm sure we're going to talk more we're going to talk about his retirement we're going to talk about his father's death we you and i can maybe speculate on what this team would have done in the next season um if if we in the next two seasons really before he fully comes back to to uh to playing ball um and some other stuff i'm you know this has been incredible i mean it really is it's just great television it's so enjoyable but but fascinating and interesting and even the stuff that i know it's still just it hits and just right in the right it's just so well done the production value on this is unbelievable so it's been good times all right we're done here we're gonna get out of here we'll come back next week we'll talk more jordan stuff stay tuned later in this week i know i teased it last week and then we ended up not being able to do it uh because of some technical issues but we we have a bonus episode coming later this week where we are going to pick are all 80s NBA teams. So stick around for that. Come back. If you like what you heard, thanks. We really appreciate you being here and, and listening. Uh, number two, tell a friend. Bring your basketball buddies around to listen to our show. It helps us a whole bunch. Number three, go to iTunes. Leave us a five-star rating and five-star review. Uh, and in that review, tell us uh, the most obscure or random NBA jersey that you own or have owned in the past. We like to read those out at the end of the show. Again, stay tuned for next week. We'll be talking more of The Last Dance and whatever else comes up over the next few weeks as we hopefully, Lord willing, move towards some basketball, some live basketball uh, sooner rather than later. And until next time, stay hard, Bobby Rogers.